This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now, it's time for Coach Hogg's Locker Room. Morning. Uh, thank you for tuning in. I see some of my longtime favorites tuning in right now. Thank you for your um, support of the Fort Scott Files. You know who you are, and I appreciate it very much. Uh, this is Coach Hogg today for the first few minutes of the show, and we're not in this for your podcast studio. We are in the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law with 50 years of experience, as you know, is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. They won't back down. And of course, our good friends from crime prevention, you can worry less with prevention security, for cameras, to, uh, all sorts of things uh, for your home and your business. And of course, Maurice T. McDaniel, who is the uh, High Springs attorney who was once airborne special forces and once a deputy sheriff who's now of course an attorney and a farmer. <clears throat> so, and all of our other sponsors who come along and we observe and, and uh, support and appreciate the half of the show. <clears throat> we are uh, having a successful rain event here last night. After yours truly, of course, I don't want to really take direct credit for it, but uh, the Naked Rain Dance. Uh, I, I'm amazed by its ability to bring the water out of the clouds. I, I just don't know what to tell you about it. It's uh, always happened. And, and sometimes I'm reluctant to do it because then it starts as a downpour that doesn't stop. But I felt things were getting bad enough here in north central Florida and the piney woods that we needed to appeal to the goddesses. Since I'm the male, I would appeal to the goddesses uh, to deliver us some rain. And they've come uh, around again. And we got quite a bit here at uh, the uh, Warthog Command Center uh, last night. Great electrical storm. Missed a little bit of the orange moon, but you can't have it all. Well, you know, there's all sorts of things going on in the athletic world, which we've been tracing for you. And uh, one of the things, of course, is named image and likeness. And name image and likeness has turned the world of amateur sports on its head. Because now, really, you're no longer an amateur. You can sell your name, you can sell your image, you can sell your likeness. And you can do it independently of your institution and your coaches. And you can get yourself an agent and go about uh, selling, quote unquote, your brand to the highest bidder. And Deion Sanders, of course, is probably one of the greatest athletes, pro athletes we've ever had. Fantastic speed, played at FSU, drove us nuts, uh, went on and was a great football player and a great baseball player. The two almost do, they almost don't intersect. But Deion Sanders is a, an exceptional athlete. He's now a coach at Jackson State. Jackson State, in the hierarchy of football, is not a big football school. It is a, a smaller NCAA uh, school, and therefore it has a little trouble 
of course, uh, competing with the uh, name, image, and likeness attraction that is now visited upon college and even high school athletics. So Deion Sanders has come out concerned about this. And when Deion Sanders, who is a consummate professional uh, and uh, a great athlete, is concerned about it, now a coach, head coach at Jackson State, when Deion Sanders is concerned about it, you probably ought to pay a little of attention. He says that the problem with um, these players, particularly in the smaller colleges, uh, becoming professionals, and he goes ahead and calls them professionals. He said they act like professionals. Um, you don't have the staffs large enough and equipped enough to handle the young man with money. And you can take that uh, at literal face value, and of course it has a lot of uh, implied issues in it as well. Um, and so he says, let me go deeper, handle a young man who's making more money than some of the coaches on staff. That is going to be an interesting issue. <clears throat> you will actually have players making more money than the coaches who coach them. And not in some cases, but hard, pretty hard to make more than, say, Saban. But it's possible that a player could make more than Saban while Saban's coaching him. Just depends on how big a name he is and how much the commercial world thinks he can make money off of him. It's all in the capitalistic system about making money, of course, and making money rather shamelessly sometimes. Plus, those who are sort of always questioning capitalism have always been concerned about words that's ethics and sense of right and wrong. It was so bad in the real estate industry that the old joke became, come on down here, I got swampland, I'll sell you. Well, uh, that got cleaned up through the Florida Real Estate uh, Commission. And so, um, you know, Freck, it's gotten a little better. So that's always the Achilles heel of capitalism. Those who are uh, critical of it say, well, it always will seek um, um, to make money. And if it has to make the uh, cheapest labor, it'll do to go to China to get it. And to pay the women make, and making the shoes $4 an hour, maybe even $4 a day, and they'll pay um, you know, some of the superstars, Michael Jordan, $100 a shoe. So that's the way it works. So Sanders knows that there are some problems that are going to come the way with this NIL. And he says, particularly the smaller schools, such as Jackson State, won't be able to compete with the amount of money that the Power Five schools are paying. And he says that really what we have now is pay-for-view. That's basically what it is. Uh, you pay to view. Well, somebody pays. In other words, the athletes that you're going to be watching come fall, let's take the University of Florida, for example, uh, will be paid. And uh, therefore, you'll be able to view them. So not all of them will be paid, and not all of them will be paid the same amount. No one yet knows what that calculus will be. It's an unknown, uncharted territory. And it pretends a great many potholes. So Sanders says it's just right now pay for view. And he says, I'm trying to talk about this before it blows up in our face. Um, so he's uh, put this out on Twitter is where he made these remarks. Well, it's an interesting kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call this, not a paradox, but I wouldn't call it a loophole. But there's an inner, I guess, a blind spot in all this. So it's okay if you are a citizen and an athlete, you have no problem being paid. 
But how about the college athletes who can't work? And who are these students who are disallowed work, disallowed financial return while they're here in this country? It's the international students. And the way the law is right now, and this is another one of these things that Biden and these people are just absolutely incapable, I guess, of thinking about. Uh, they want to let everybody in at the, at the border. But here we have international students who are here on visas. Uh, they can't get these endorsement deals because um, uh, a, a student visa explicitly bars the student from working while he's here. You know, I got to sit and wonder about that. Isn't that something? You come in the legal way. You come in with a visa. In this case, you're a student athlete. And every all your buddies on your team are getting paid through NIL. You can't get paid. And you came here the legal way on a student visa. Now, meanwhile, guys are crossing the border illegally and going right to wherever they want to go and working and maybe even voting. So uh, there are ways around it, of course. There was one athlete uh, named Hansel Emmanuel, uh, who was a Dominican uh, Republic, and he flew to Mexico and filmed the Gatorade commercial there. But that's risky. That's risky because where did he put the money? And is that work or what is going on here? Can he work outside the United States? There's a lot of things here that make a lot of these athletes a little bit timid about doing this. Uh, this is a Wall Street Journal analysis of this, and it's pretty interesting. There are 20,000 international athletes at American high schools and colleges who are on these uh, student visas. And they're being offered, many of them, very lucrative deals that can change their lives. Um, they have, uh, um, but they have a real difficulty because they could jeopardize uh, their visas. And, and that is something that hasn't been worked out. From the understanding of the advisors to the student athletes at the University of California at Berkeley, where they have a compliance offer, officer, he's warned uh, the international students there at Berkeley that they could be deported if they uh, take any of this NIL money. And that is really enough to make them back off. Now, over here, uh, Deion Sanders is silent about that, obviously isn't aware of it to the extent, but he's got a good concern. Uh, then here's another concern. How well has the NCAA thought this through? Not very well at all. From the sports writers I talk to, the coaches and all that, how uh, this is a real uh, time bomb taking ready to blow up. And the college students' visas, okay, uh, for the international students only allow limited on-campus employment and all their off-campus work, if they have any, has to be related to what they're studying, uh, not what they're playing. Now, you know, you don't think words matter, but words really matter here. If your off-campus employment is related to what you're studying, and most of these international students are studying a pretty uh, demanding curriculum, uh, then maybe you work at uh, uh, someplace in a lab and, uh, and you know, you, you, you uh, are working as a biochemistry major and this is really, but you're not playing your sport. 
and high school students on visas, they can't work at all. And we have high school students that are getting very hefty NIL sums already. Uh, I know that, for example, in softball, I'm told by the guys who've got their ear to the ground, Tim Walden has coming in here in a couple of years, the number one high school softball pitcher in the nation. Now, is she getting an NIL? Will she get one when she gets here? She's already got the reputation of being the best high school pitcher in the nation. So uh, it's going to be interesting how all this compounds itself. A, a student athlete who is not immigration compliant can't even return for a pro career. That's from a, uh, the, the opinion of a sports immigration lawyer. If you are a student athlete and you violate your visa uh, terms while you're here, uh, your student visa, and you graduate and you want to re, you know, go over your home for a while, let's say it's the Netherlands or wherever, and you want to return for a pro career, uh, you're not going to get cleared through the immigration because you violated the student visa. Um, you know, I don't know of anything that's more screwed up than immigration. And I, you know, many people think that, of course, Biden is keeping it screwed up on purpose. Another source of chaos that this administration is turning a blind eye to, but particularly this one is not even on the radar. I doubt they're even aware of this. Um, so a lot of these players, these athletes are not interested in taking the chance. Um, they are, if they do take a chance, they are flown out of the country for their promotional shoots. Uh, but they got to be careful how they put that, get that money and where they put it. And you have to be very strategic about it. Furthermore, as immigrants, you see, they can't vote. Well, as legal immigrants, okay? Because the immigration system knows where they are. They're on a student visa. So can the illegal immigrants vote? It's always been one of the things that has bothered a lot of people. And it's our, in our cultural conversations right now as we speak. Um, the funny thing about, not funny really, is um, uh, these uh, visa regulations have not been updated since 1986. A few of them in, uh, uh, since 1996, but most since 1986. And most of these uh, regulations, now get this, you talk about government and how inept government is. Most of these regulations were written, obviously, before the Internet before social media, before remote work, which is where a lot of these student athletes are going to make their endorsements off of social media and off the internet. So the meanwhile, to make it more frustrating, the Department of Homeland Security has been up till now non, maybe this Wall Street Journal article will help. Maybe my uh, uh, talking about it here with you will help. Uh, it's very, mysterious how government hears and what they hear, but the Student and Exchange Visitor Program, which is administered by the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which is ICE, is still, quote unquote, studying the issue. Well, uh, it, it, is, it, is, uh, it is something that I would think would be a great concern 
to, and we get more and more athletes from uh, uh, different countries. Even when I was a chair umpire for tennis for the NCAA, uh, lots of schools that were out there on the court who were officiating were made up of great players from Europe who'd come here to college. I remember Poland at one time sent a bunch to a, to a university. Um, and the reason we knew it, of course, is because as chair umpires, we had to be up on the profanity of the particular player and where he was from when he was on the court because you code for profanity. But, you know, those guys would, would uh, uh, use bad words in their own language, thinking nobody knew them. And most, say Poland, they might not. But if you use Spanish, half the stands would know it. So it was kind of, kind of interesting. It's not all that difficult because like in English, there's just one or two words that are used over and over. And one is the fricative that begins with an F because it, it lets loose uh, energy. It lets loose all the pent up energy and frustration. So uh, there's, a, there's a, most of our, uh, our one syllable, uh, the one which begins with the S and the ones which begin with the F mostly are used. Um, so it's not really all that complicated to learn uh, what the foreign kids are using for frustration uh, uh, language. So um, there, so the right now it seems that the, the contemporary thinking of these uh, uh, officers who watch for compliance is um, they don't believe you should do any NIL deals on a student visa to be safe. Well, I don't know. They may never get their their deal. That, does that complicate the issue? Does that make it even more uh, uh, of an uneven playing field? I don't understand the thinking of, uh, of, of bureaucratic minds quite frequently. If they have them, uh, they seem to have their own kinds of uh, motivations for what they're doing. I didn't know if you knew about that. I find that Jack Phillips, I know you were an athlete. Uh, maybe you heard that. Maybe you didn't. I know Doug Whitaker sticks up with this, stays up with this stuff. On a student visa, you're not going to get an NIL deal. Come on, uh, unless there's any comments coming in, and I'm checking right now to see if there's anybody wants to comment about that. It's, um, it's, um, it is what it is. Locally, I have to respond. I have to respond and talk a little bit about the Brian Kramer guest column in the newspaper. Of course, I saw it come out before it came out in the so-called hard copy. And uh, I got a comment on it because it's got some problems as far as I'm concerned. And, and I'm going to point them out to you. Um, Brian Kramer, in case you don't know it, is a, is took Bill Cervone's place, the state attorney of the Eighth Judicial Circuit. He uh, did not have an opponent. He just kind of fell into the job. Uh, nobody ran against him. He was an in-house candidate, which is quite often the way um, state attorneys like to operate. Um, they like to uh, move it from within because the argument is they know the, the, the way the, the cookie crumbles and all that and, and come ready to go. The, but uh, invariably, there's differences among and between them, uh, personalities, approaches, experience. Um, and wisdom, naivete, all of that figures into it. Uh, I think you need a healthy sense of evil. I think you need a healthy sense of 
of um, when knowing when you're being lied to and when you're buying a pig in a poke, as they say. Uh, I think you really need that. But um, right now, the big push in this um, anti-cop world is to defund the police and to view uh, the criminal as a hapless soul who just has been become a criminal because you, the good guy, ripped him off, you see. And therefore, he had no recourse but to steal from you. And therefore, you, the good guy, is really the bad guy. And the criminal who is the bad guy is really the good guy. This is the way the inversion principle is working uh, in the uh, justice culture right now. And you see it all over the place. Uh, you see it in Black Lives Matter. Uh, you see it in uh, the January 6th. You see it uh, in uh, strict struck struck. It's all through the FBI. Uh, it is a corrupt organization. Um, so they're, they're, they're we, you know, not easily documented that it is. Durham's going to show that um, in case you didn't know it before. So there's this whole thing. Now, what do you do if you're a state attorney? Do you cater to that? Do you try, because you are voted in. So do you try to curry votes? Um, uh, how do you walk? I mean, ideally, I think you just go enforce the law and let the chips fall where they may. But you have to remember that we're not enforcing the law, we're interpreting the law. And interpreting is subject to all sorts of political pressures. So the law has been grossly politicized in more so than I can remember in my lifetime. It is totally politicized, a lot of people think, where, uh, you know, for example, I'll just give you an example. I was in a, uh, 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 I was in a gun store Friday. I won't talk about where and I won't talk about why, but I was there. Well, you'll get that. You'll get the idea. I had to sit there for an hour and a half uh, for a background check, which I've already got a concealed weapons uh, permit. And, you know, why an hour and a half for a background check? Well, it's almost automatic, you know, isn't it? Well, the guys who run the shop told me they have had background checks take as much as three hours. And why do you think it's taking so long? Because so many people are buying guns. Legal. And they are going through the most thorough background checks. I mean, an hour and a half to get mine back. So I'm sitting there. and I'm really. It could be worse. So while I'm sitting there, I'm talking to, and the place is packed, and I'm talking to people as they purchase their products. You know me. I'm going to chat with people. Every single person felt the Biden administration was totally a threat to their lives. Totally. Totally. And there are black and white in there. Okay. It was not racial. Every person I talked to, and there were women, felt the Biden administration was a threat to their lives. And they were buying their weapons, going through the background check. There's no problem with finding out where they are, who they are. They have. So 
That is the case they have become the bad guys. They think, and what does Biden do after this uh, situation in Buffalo? He gets up and blames the good guys. We're going to get into that in a minute. So Kramer comes along and claims he's introducing a new role uh, for, and he's, he's the only state attorney that I know of who's done this. And he claims that, and listen, this is the guy who can't keep up with crime in this community. Can't keep up with it. When we started out presenting to him, this is all a result of yours truly. When we went into his office and sat down with these people who were signed up and then voted by T.J. Pichet, signed up by him, he said it was, a, as I recall, it's a very low priority for me. I've got real crime, so to speak, that I've got to deal with. This is a very low priority for me. Well, now it's become a big priority. Why do you think that's so? Because of the pressure we brought to bear on challenging the acceptable narrative about the election. So he claims he's going to introduce a program that the felons are going to be able to call up or contact him. And he'll, and first of all, first of all, first of all, I know Don Pierce, good friend of mine, Kuhan Luke, Malcolm Bradley, good friend of mine on the yard, John Ricardo, who wrote and, and directed Yesterday's Man, Truman Capote, who wrote In Cold Blood. I know these guys, okay? Knew them real, real well. They were experts on the criminal mind. Experts! Not through some criminology college, but through their own lives. In Cold Blood is a masterpiece. Written by a genius of the language, Truman Capote. Malcolm Bradley, tremendous prison writer. Read False Starts. Read his autobiography. It's amazing. And of course, you know Don Pierce and Coolhand Luke, or should. Maybe you haven't. Don't remember it. These guys are not going to call up. I would offer as a suggestion, the state attorney and say, am I eligible to vote? The guys, that right now we got them being transported down here from the state prison to the Alachua County Jail to quote unquote stand trial or be held accountable for their perjury, which is what they're charged with. We know the backgrounds of these guys. This is not their first rodeo. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? The implication in this article by Kramer is that all these guys are just woe-begotten and really will go change their ways. You take a look at the 
resumes, if you will, or the sheet, and tell me, tell me if there's any indication that this is a woe-begotten, misunderstood person. There is such a thing as a criminal mind. There is a, such a thing as a criminal way of life. Believe me. I've read Elbridge Cleaver, studied Elbridge Cleaver, Soul on Ice. When I was a professor at the college, the officials at Rayford contacted me and said, we have a magnificently talented person here who's doing, I don't know what he was doing, 10, 15 years from armed bank robbery, who is so good at writing, he's writing a novel, would you come to Rayford and talk to him? I drove up to Rayford and I met him in the barber shop in the evening. There was nobody in there. Just this prisoner and yours truly. And I had read his work and it was brilliant. It was brilliant. He's obviously at the upper echelon of criminals. You know, the bottom of the hierarchy is the baby raper. And the top of the hierarchy is the jewel thief or the bank robber. Because they have to get through these codes quite frequently, all this different stuff. I was taught that by Pierce, Kuhanlu. So I talked with this gentleman for a long time, very bright, very charming. And advised him on what he needed to do to sharpen up some of the things he was trying to learn how to do with his work. Well, lo and behold, I can't remember the time that passed how much between the time I talked to him and the time I got another call from the institution and said, we're going to release him. And he wants to come to Santa Fe and study writing with you. And I can remember, he came to the class, and I remember there was a kid in the class who wrote a story. I'm going to pull along my break here because I want to, I want to continue the story with you, and then I'll come back after the break. Who, who wrote a, a story. And in the story, a fellow had been shot in the hand as he ran away from the holdup. And all the stories were read aloud anonymously then. I would read the stories aloud, never identify the author, and then the class would try to understand what was good and what was not good about the ineffective and effective, and I would steer the conversation. At the end of the class, the young writer came up to me, and I said to him, the details in your story do not ring true. Well, the prisoner was standing next to him. And I'll never forget what he said to the young writer. He said, you have your character shot in the back of the hand as he's running away. 
When you're shot in the back of the hand, the bullet propels your arm in a circle and your hand so that uncontrollably your hand goes up and around and down behind you and falls again at your waist. And that's how you know. That's what the bullet would do. It would knock your hand into a circle that would be uncontrollably spinning by your side. Kid looked at it. It was the biggest lesson why you never write about that which you don't know when you write fiction or anything. You never write about what you don't know. I'm going to break a minute. I'm going to say Kramer is writing about something he doesn't know. And by the way, I'll tell you a secret. He was my student, too. You're right back on the Word Scott Files in just a moment. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, Thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Once again, I've said it, and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and keep saying it on the record, and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record, and keep saying it on the record. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. I understand you heard some funny little things that production played. I appreciate production playing, so we got so many of these little things. We'll treat you to them once in a while. Um, so we're going over uh, Brian Kramer's uh, piece in the paper, which is um, really, I, I'm not sure how to characterize it. It's, um, of course, well-written, but should be. I mean, should be studied with a good teacher. Um, but it's, uh, the subject is uh, rather 
blandly discussed. And some assumptions are made in it that simply aren't true. Statistically aren't true. I'm not saying there's not an occasional felon who won't call up the state attorney and say, geez, can I vote? Or maybe even a liar would do that. Probably his attorney would do it. Uh, most guys don't call the state attorney's office. Even citizens don't call. Um, God, you go to those places and you have to go through. It's like um, it's the most incredible checkpoints you can imagine. Um, and they just don't want to do that. I mean, citizens don't even like to do it. So that's one kind of naive assumption in the piece. Um, the other thing that really bothers me uh, is that this uncertainty, he says the uncertainty created a difficult situation for the individual. The only individual responsible for this is T.J. Pichet. He went to the jail. And when he left, these people were signed up. And they weren't signed up before he went. And he's taken the Fifth Amendment. So what that tells me is another thing that really bothers me about this piece. This is the state attorney. He brings charges. He really can set a grand jury. Which I think he should have done or should do. But he's tainted the jury pool. He has tainted the jury pool with this article. He, the state attorney, I would suggest, has tainted the jury pool. The state attorney has already said in this article that it was a difficult situation for the individuals. He's not the jury. He shouldn't be. Now, of course, he can elect to bring charges or not bring charges. That is troublesome. That is troublesome. Because if he elects not to, the question has become among people who are watching this, has he not exonerated or covered up for the supervisor election staff, which he's already publicly said he's not going to charge. He said that before there was even a defense put up by the ones who are being charged with perjury. Now, I'm not a liar, but I've taught one hell of a lot of them. This one included. And I'm just treating this as an essay. I'm not, I, I, that's all I'm doing. It's been submitted, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking about it. I'm asking questions about it. That's all I'm doing. I'm asking questions. And I'm asking a question a lot of people in the community are asking. Has the supervisor elections been hereby exonerated? If so, why? It's not confusion on the part of the people who signed up. And it wasn't confusion on the part of the person who signed them up. Because we have the email where that person acknowledged he couldn't do it or shouldn't do it. 
the whole gray area is what is the agent of the state obligated to do? The agent of the state was obligated to do exactly, I think, more I think about it, what Kramer says he's going to do now. Do you follow weirdness about this article? He says if the felon calls him up or contacts him, he'll check out to see if the felon's eligible. And then he's going to tell the felon. What about this supervisor of election? Are we just supposed to assume that the supervisor election doesn't have to validate anybody's eligibility to vote, including these guys? I may I may write a rebuttal of this and, and send it over to little Nathan Crabb. I don't know. This bothers me. This bothers me, and it should bother you as a community. There's something fishy about this. What about the victims of the felons? The statement in here by Kramer is, we will accomplish this, and that is the V8th program he's invented. We will accomplish this by offering my opinion, his opinion, on whether an individual has completed all the terms of his or herself. What about the victims? No mention. No mention. This is what is upsetting the public. This is why when I was sitting in the gun shop, to a person, they felt the institutions were failing. Clarence Thomas thinks the same thing. He thinks that this leak in the Supreme Court has destroyed that institution. And it was destroyed deliberately by the left who've been trying to destroy it forever by either packing it or limiting their terms. They can't stand the fact that there are people on there who are appointed by Trump. They hate it. They're willing to destroy the institution which Thomas says they've already done. And I think he's probably right. How hereafter could you ever, as a Supreme Court justice, think that your conversations were confidential? Your thoughts were confidential? When? The very people, I think, I hypothesize, maybe I could be wrong, who complain about the politicalization of the court, politicize it. The judicial court is a member of the court system. I don't know. It, it, it's uh, it's, tr it's troubling enough that 
what this does is it puts the onus on the felon. And I can tell you that felons don't necessarily respond to this type of pressure, nor do they care. Why isn't the onus on the people who are paid six figures to be sure that the voter rolls are sound? Why isn't the onus on them? He says he hopes this is wildly successful. I really think the choice of the adverb, which in this case is functioning as an adjective because it tells how successful. Wildly is the poor choice of words. Wildly, we've got enough wildness as it is. We've got enough wildness as it is. Not a good word. here. Yes, it seems to me as well that he is creating powers for himself, Tim. And I wonder about the creation of those powers. If he can just create those powers on his own, I want to re research that a little bit. Any kind of input from the public. Um, the powers of the state attorney, of course, he says in here, he has implied those he says, the state attorney serves other critical functions as well, serves a cool role in the sealing and expunging of criminal records. That has nothing to do, has nothing to do with Jones voting. Has nothing to do. These guys that we have here coming in from Rayford, they don't have sealed records, okay? You're only entitled to one seal. Uh, these guys would have run out of fingers and toes. You, you know, it's irrelevant whether they had a, a particular instance in which they broke the law seal because they've got, in some cases, multiple, multiple. There's a lot of loose thinking in there. A lot of loose thinking. You know... And of course, they're taking this opportunity to bash, well, certainly by right away did it, guns. Let's go back to the profile of this deranged young man who went into the store in Buffalo. This character was not unknown to the officials. I know of a person in this community who out on the pages where this person's known for ranting and raving and hollering and screaming and stirring up racial issues. I'm not going to give the name of the person. You'll be able to deduce it right quickly. Said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the indefinite pronoun it rather than he or she, it would burn the jail down, blow it up because of the mistreatment 
I guess, is what the person was talking about, of certain people in the jail. But the words were blow up and burn down. This person is not unknown to this community for these extravagant rants. The question becomes, what do you do about this? I mean, it, it, it is not the first time. It's not the first time. with this shooter and it was not the first time he was already last June the New York State Police had been called at his high school the kid was 17 then and he had made threatening statements we're dealing with Mental issues with these people who say these things publicly like this. This person who's out on Facebook threatening to burn the jail down and blow it up. That's public. And it's not the first time these kind of rant do with it. it. Becomes a dilemma. This kid even had a mental health evaluation a year before this. It put him in a hospital for a day and a half. Now, this kid would have cleared, you understand, Kramer's evaluation of whether he could vote or not. Yet, The threat was determined to be general in nature. It was not interpreted to be, at that time, racial. But this is not the only situation like this. AP has reported that a long list, the Associated Press has reported that a long list of mass shootings in the United States have repeatedly missed opportunities to intervene, including the 2008 occur of 17 students in Parkland. In Parkland, the cops had received numerous complaints about the gunman's threatening statements. I mean, is threatening to blow up the jail and burn it? Is that a, is that a threatening statement? And in the killings of more than two dozen people at a Texas church in 2017, that guy bought a gun in, in spite of a violent history. I don't know how that happened, but I'm all for background checks, believe me. What is this about, really? It's about being unable to do anything before something's done. When the promise or the suggestion that something will be done has already been profoundly publicly repeated. Wall Street Journal today has an article about this. He posted documents online 
where he described himself as a fascist, a white supremacist, a racist, and anti-Semite. I don't know. What does that lead? Huh? What do you do about that? Well, he's going to claim it's the First Amendment. You post them online. That. Uh, Political narrative of the election? Do they do that? Well, there's a long analysis of this. I, you, know, you know, some understanding of the underlying situation. Here's something at the other end of the continuum I thought was so interesting. Where are our priorities? That's one of the things that I'm questioning about Kramer's piece. Where are our priorities? There's a Wisconsin school district that has filed harassment complaints against three middle schoolers. Are you ready for this? Or calling a classmate by a wrong pronoun. by a wrong pronoun. This is a school district in Keele. It's a city of 3,600 residents. It has charged three eighth graders at the middle school with sexual after an incident in April in which the students refused to use they to refer to a classmate who had switched pronouns a month before the alleged incident. The mother said she received a phone call from the principal forewarning her that letting her know that she was going to be receiving an email with sexual harassment allegations against her son, who's 13 year old. His name is Brayden. He's 13 years old. Is one of the students charged with sexual harassment because he didn't use the correct I don't know. You, you tell me. Meanwhile, the Democrats are using falsehoods and fear, which is the title of today's show, as their playbook for the elections in the fall. And the big one they're using, of course, and you saw it go unchallenged, is the abortion leak, which is as destroyed Supreme Court institution. Meanwhile, the black, you, I'm going back to the, to the gun shop where everybody in there distrusted America's institutions. The Black Lives Matter campaign two years ago, according to the article in that I'm looking at here in the Wall Street Journal, which is written by Gerald Baker, ranks, he says, as one of the most effective demonstrations of extra constitutional political activism in at least half a century. He writes that the far left 
representative of only a tiny strand of opinion in the U.S. succeeded in orchestrating a campaign of disinformation, intimidation, moral blackmail, and outright violence to create a political climate favorable to its interests. It seized on the murder of a black man by a police officer to create a narrative that the U.S. is institutionally depraved. And it managed to turn the blame on the Republican president and his that in no question helped therefore put Uncle Joe in. And now, believe me, those of you who don't understand how political strategists work, that Black Lives Matter political activism was so successful that it's now the same strategy, trust me, is being used this time not with race, but with abortion. And we are tolerating a president who doesn't condemn either. And what we now have that hasn't been condemned by the president, people who post maps on social media of the home addresses of people they don't like, They show up outside people's homes to intimidate them. White House declines to comment or condemn any of this. And we know that silence gives consent. And Biden, when he was finally pinned down through a spokesperson, said, well, he strongly believes in the constitutional right to protest. What a real, real, super slippery comment that is. Are you kidding me? The Democrats don't have one iota of guilt in undermining the Supreme Court's deliberations. Not one iota of guilt. The institutions of the country are seriously mistrusted, I would submit to you in closing here, by many, many, many people. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center.